and welcome to Rep Purse Greetings, episode 56. I'm your host, Em, and with me is my regular host, Jackson. Yo! And Destiny. Ahoy, ahoy. Uh, Destiny's got a mic. Uh, you'd like to FaceTime Jackson Tyler? No! <laughs> <laughs> no, Siri, hey, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Do you want to FaceTime? I don't know why Siri thought that I wanted to FaceTime you. I was so baffled. Hang on, hang on, hang on. How do you even have me in a, a dress where I would be possible to be FaceTimed? I don't think I'm in your contacts. You talked to me on Discord. phone is not... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what <laughs> what that's pulling from. What? Because I... Like, you wouldn't have put me into your phone. We've never no, used iMessage. No, you're not. You're not. Unless it, like, pulls from line contacts or something. I guess it could pull from line contacts. I'm like... Oh, this... I bet it's, like, maybe maybe Skype. You're in my Skype. I only have Skype. Maybe there's a Skype, but it was Siri. It wasn't like Cortana. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's uh, weird. Uh, anyway, uh, it, new computer. Destiny's on a yeah. Destiny's on a real mic again. Thank God. Yeah, we're recording on Audacity. I didn't have to light up OBS. Yeah, it's great. I'm gonna get to show Destiny how to edit her audio, so I don't have to do the processing. Maybe not this week. This week's kind of busy, but at some point. Um. We're here. It's movie time. Who's seen <laughs> Who's seen some movies? We've I, all seen some movies. I've I, seen at least one. Um, Yeah, I've seen... Go on. Twenty-five movies. Jesus. Between now well, and the last uh, time we recorded? Actually, minus three Megazones and one Dirty Harry, because those are for other podcasts. So 20, what was that? 21 movies? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are shorts. You know the scene in John Wick where he goes back <laughs> down to his basement <laughs> and goes back to the old John Wick? Uh, this is what you were doing for when you were living the movie life, which is watching a movie every night. Um... Yeah, yeah. Basically, what I've done is watched a movie every night since the last time we recorded. And sometimes I'm watching short, so I watch like three at a, three at a time or whatever, three or four at a time. Yes. I'm gonna up. I'm gonna up my rating on that one. That one's better than three stars. It's actually four stars. There we go. I watched a uh, lot of movies. I'm sorry, it happens. Well, pick two. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so expert audio has a movie podcast that I would say is like the, the companion podcast to ours in a lot of ways. Uh, it's called ornate stairwells. They've been going, it's, uh, autumn and Neve, and they've been watching a movie every week for like a couple months now. Um, and they mostly do movies that we don't cover. It's a lot of like Asian cinema, stuff like that. Um, there's been very, there's like no aesthetic overlap between the two of us. Uh, it's very funny to me. Um, but, uh, I've been going through their backlog and uh it's been great so the movie i watched that i want to talk about is uh no regrets for our youth which is a really early kurosawa film uh, it's on the criterion channel it's made in 1946 it's the first post-world war ii movie and it's about this like woman in college who's like in love with these two guys and one of them is like a, a like a leftist it's like 1930s right before everything pops off and he's like a strident leftist who's all about like student freedoms on campus and the other guy's like a more moderate guy and uh, she really likes the like strident guy but of course he gets arrested or disappears and um goes to jail and so she ends up like mostly hanging out with the very like normal guy who try who becomes like a lawyer and tries to get him out of prison all of this stuff happens um the war, the war effort, uh, continues to percolate up things like that. It gets bad out there. Um, and that guy ends up dying and it, it like drives her. It starts like the first half is like this weird, like days of our youth, kind of like bad Hollywood romance film. It's like shot like a 1930s Hollywood picture. It feels fucking weird. I, it's like not good, but every once in a while we'll do something really arty. It's like, this is really interesting. There's like a bit where she's just waiting for this guy to like, she's like in her room just waiting for this guy to like call or whatever and it's just a montage of her reacting like against the door like being fretful or being bored or being anguished or like laughing or whatever it's like just like cut in between and like a way you get like a silent film montage and it's really interesting um but then after he dies she ends up like 
trying to figure like she goes to his family to like apologize or like you know explain that she was the woman who loved him and his family is just running a farm and uh their son's been labeled like a traitor to the state because now japan's really fascist and uh she decides to like work with them in the fields and there's the second half of the movie is just like this long trial of her trying to gain the respect of these like two farmers by like doing labor and discovering what it is to like not just be a student but be like a person who works and it's really good this like second half like like soviet bent to this movie i was not expecting and i really fell for it's very good i i highly recommend it (laughs) yeah it sounds cool i always wanted to see it because the premise Um, and then uh, the other thing that I've been working on is I got uh, for my birthday the uh, Anya's Varda big Criterion box set. And I've just been like plucking away at those movies. Um, highly recommend if you, if you, you know, there's a Criterion sale for the end of the month. If you've got some extra money to throw around and don't mind treating yourself, it's a very nice box. I think they're all on Criterion. But I do, I do like just recommend uh, checking them out. Um, and the, the one I want to shout out that I watched is a uh, documentary that she made in 1976 called Daguerreotypes, um, which is Daguerreotypes are like an early photography technique. But it's also this movie is about when she just had her like first kid. She was kind of minding the kid, and she lived on Rue Daguerre in uh, Paris, and just like dragged her camera as far as her extension cable would go and like filmed the shops around her apartment um and made like a like a documentary about the people who work and live in 1970s Paris and like what their lives are like and it's fucking incredible Ooh. documentaries could be anything um back in the day and i miss that about them i feel like every old documentary i've watched has just been like an incredible piece of cinema um and, and now everything is like very slick like reality television style but but as a movie um yeah that's a shame but it's right re- it's really good um it, probably on the network but the disc also had uh a movie she shot in 2005 where she went back to the street and like what does it look like now who's still there there's a guy who is like the bagging guy at the grocer who now runs the grocer it's the only thing that's still on the street um it's incredible uh talking to him and he's like yeah no i remember when he filmed and you know i just uh i I bought the place in the 80s and i'm still the guy who runs it um it's great love it that's the cinema that's cinema to me (laughs) that sounds cool as hell yeah it's really good um but yeah i've been watching you follow me on letterboxd uh em underscore being there if you can see all the fucking things i've watched watch bush casting sunday's kid i don't think that movie's very good that's my uh short review of that (laughs) I only watched one movie between last time and now. Yeah. Uh, I watched Sam Fuller's Pick Up on South Street. Which that is, is that this... is not the only movie you watched. We also watched Halloween Kills. Sure? We talked about it last time, I thought. No. no, you told us about regular Halloween. You watched Halloween. Oh. You talked about Halloween Kills on Badland Girls. Oh, I guess I did. Yes. Halloween Kills was not good. No, That's it was all, really bad. Like, it was like, it's... I went on VoIP. On VoIP Life, I had a whole, like, thing about how Halloween 2018 is a bad movie for, like, interesting ideological reasons. Halloween Kills is just badly made and boring. Um, It almost wraps around into, like, being interesting and, like, it's weird. Um, You can't, you can't use, like, mob neighborhood watch mentality to defeat the concept of evil that just materially doesn't connect. But it, it, it just likes the mob too much, actually, to really land there unfortunately does it though because they all get murdered (laughs) yeah but it still like thinks like the problem with those is that like the mob got out of control but like if that guy had kept them in check and they had listened to uh if they had listened to jamie lee curtis then they wouldn't have tried to kill that one guy and maybe it all would have worked out there's like a real like that part where like that one guy jumps out the window and everyone stands around is like maybe maybe we're the real monsters but then they go and try to fuck up michael myers anyway it's like you're just trying to do too many things at once and i don't think it lands on like being coherent enough um to say anything ultimately i just didn't like it it left me cold uh yeah no it's, it's just not a very good movie i um no i thought it was wretched and not even like in a what it's purporting is bad it just doesn't cohere um yeah a guy does give a big stands up at like an open mic in that movie and gives a big 9-11 speech about surviving a horror movie and how you like you can't let the terrorist win by giving into fear just because people get murdered sometimes um 
it's but ridiculous. in like a in like the most respect the troops kind of like coaching I've ever seen. It's it's <laughs> reality bending. How weird that scene is. Yeah, I mentioned that on Battling Girls. I'm like, I'm not here for this. I'm not. Um, but pick up on South Street was fucking good. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, that was it's a Samuel Fuller noir from, what year is that? That is... 53. 53, yeah. Um, the highlight being Thelma Ritter, who is this, like, amazing character actress. She was in All About Eve, Birdman of Alcatraz, Rear Window, The Misfits, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, she's, she's this stool pigeon who sells ties, and she just has a lot of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, this is like a noir about like a woman who who realizes her boyfriend is selling state secrets to the communists as one of the state secrets she's being the like mule for uh, gets stolen from her by a pickpocket and gets wrapped up in this. And then maybe she's falling for the pickpocket um, has like some of the most cartoonish depictions of like American communists I've ever seen. Just like these very sweaty men who are willing to do anything for the the the, the cause Um but in like a weirdly like nerdy way, it's very funny to me. But uh, this movie's great in that like the dialogue feels super arch. And like, have you seen Brick? Like Brick is like a movie that's about like oh it's like a high school movie, but everyone talks like like it's Sin City. And like everyone in this movie talks like that too. But because it's from '53, they do it about fifty times or fifty percent faster than they would in a movie like Sin City or Brick. Um, and it's just, it's not a, it's not a gimmick. Everyone just talks w- weird. Like the I, dialogue is extremely arch, even for a noir movie. Um, and it has like this, like, because it's like the fifties and not the thirties, it has like this weird nastiness of like, not realism, but it's like meant to be like kind of uh, unhinged about it. it's like, sometimes the violence is like really graphic in like ways that you're like, I yes. can't believe you, you just, you just showed this man being the shit out of this woman in a way that like most of these movies do only allude to happening. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, that scene was really. I was surprised by that. I yeah. wasn't expecting that. It's uh, it's pretty good. Uh, I had a great time. I had a good time too. I uh, I like noir movies. I always forget until I'm watching one, and I'm like, yeah. why don't I watch more of these? Criterion <laughs> has a Fox Noir section um, that uh, they have up, uh, and they're all like kind of like fifties ish. So I think some are like late forties, but like it's forty. It's like kind of after the big heyday of noir. So a lot of them are like interesting, like not quite postmodern, but like late wave versions of this that are reflecting on the genre kind of like this movie is it's good yeah jackson i've watched the movies yeah what did you watch um so after we did um uh like uh blockbusters on daddy harry i kept watching uh the i watched the two future 70s daddy harry movies because I wanted to get to the '80s ones, and I knew the. 70s oh, you mean like, Magnum Force, and I don't remember what the second one's called. Or the the Enforcer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and so yeah, I watched those. They're not great. Um, <laughs> I was describing to you the Enforcer, and I had to like preface the description of like this description makes this movie sound fifty times better than it is. Uh, because the Enforcer is about Dirty Harry uh, teaming up with the Black Panthers to defeat the Joker gay revolutionaries uh, while being oppressed by affirmative action. Holy um, moly. <laughs> uh, which sounds like it should be crazier than it actually is. Uh, it's mostly just kind of bad. But that is all what happens in the movie. Uh, they're ridiculous. The, the, thing, the thing I said to you that might mean someone to someone, mean something to someone listening, but definitely doesn't mean anything to you, is the way that you describe these movies rem- makes it sound like Dirty Harry goes the way of Police Academy, but played entirely straight. It, that might just be true, honestly. <laughs> Because Police Academy I, is like a not very good like mm-hmm. workplace sex school time farce comedy that it sucks. But they made a bunch of sequels that like build the lore and like go in weird directions. There's like one where they like start a neighborhood watch out of like criminals that were from a prior movie. Um, it's fucking weird. Weird. It has not become that connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have been they have been opportunities for that. Uh, throughout both of these and I, i'm just excited to get i i watched like the first three and have not watched sudden impact but i did press play just to check my file and um the six years or not six, eight years eight years between 1976 and 1983 uh no how many years is that? seven years I, I can't fucking count um any whatever 
maybe the most like the biggest gulf you could find in that short a span in cinema. The world literally ended all of Star Wars born. happens in that gap. Yes, all of Star Wars. Like, like it. We think that the the transition to from like film to digital is uh like that big, and it is. Like you can say movies from like two thousand two to two thousand nine. That's a huge gap. Uh but I don't think it has anything on this. Just you just click play. You're like this is a different world. We are in a different world already. Uh, so I'll see how I feel about that when I go back to these. Uh, and then I watched um, good, uh, good movie, The Science of the Lambs, uh, which I thought was I, I liked it. I did not think it was like a classic in the way it is um, considered, I guess. But I did have a good time. Uh, I'm mostly befuddled into how like that's a that is a serious movie. That is like a serious, real movie to to culture in a way that like surprises me. I don't expect. I guess it's good that the Oscars for one year were like, we're, all, we're going to be all about Anthony Hopkins just destroying the scenery. Because they're right. It's amazing. But it's the thing that I wouldn't expect to be beloved. I'd expect to be like ridiculed by culture at large, I guess. Uh, but instead, it's the thing that everyone thinks is amazing, which is good. Cause it's a good time. Um, obviously, there's like, you know, stuff, famously stuff in the movie that is uh, not great when looked back on. But it, it in a way that's like, really interesting uh, and shows you the gulf of how long ago 1991 was because uh, the stuff you know the um, transphobic stuff with uh, Buffalo Bill and there's like debates about how transphobic it is and I'm not really getting into that uh, part that interests me is like there were oral histories about how like people being like, sh- like shocked like shocked beyond belief at the scene where he's like got a nipple ring and he's tucking which is just the most normal thing to me now uh that is not enough to be shocking even in like a gross exploitative way um closures just changed it it was yeah yeah like the idea that like the, the concept of tucking would be something like like terrifying to a i guess you know middle-aged white person going to see the movies right it just wasn't it just this like awareness of this stuff was not in the cult like straight up yes, period straight not up, there yeah. no yeah. this is a post crying game culture god Isn't i guess it? i think it might be crying game might be slightly later but uh oh i don't know i don't actually know what year that movie came out uh the crying game is like the year after yes oh okay uh, so it predates the crying game okay but mostly, uh, it's just about all the scenes with Hannibal and Clarice having their like interrogations. Those scenes are great. Yes, those are the ones that make the movie. To me, I don't. I don't really think this movie holds up. Like, it, look, I watched Manhunter first. It's a way better movie. I think I even like, <laughs> like I prefer all the scenes with Brian Cox and um, uh, what's his name, guy. Uh, I don't know that guy's name. I don't remember. Well, William Peterson. William Peterson. Graham, yeah. William Peterson. Um, Are you I ready just... for Anthony Hopkins and uh... God? I blanked on his name. What's the fucking guy? I have uh, no Edward idea Norton? who else is in Edward Hannibal. Norton. Yeah, Edward Norton uh, doing the, all those again. Wait, Edward Norton's Will Graham? <laughs> yes, in Red Dragon. Also, Will Graham's back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, in Red Dragon. Okay. Yeah. Yes. That makes I haven't sense. seen Red Dragon, but it's I a, love it, the Hannibal arc of it. It's a Brett Ratner movie. <laughs> I didn't realize Andy Hopkins stayed through all three of these uh, like movies. The, this was like this is kind of like right in the beginning of the superhero. I remember like pre-release stuff. Anthony Hopkins being like, "Yeah, I worked out and I'm I'm the exact same like size I was when I played uh, Hannibal and Silence of the Lambs. I fit into the exact same suit because uh, we're like they recreated the sets." Uh, <laughs> it was only like a decade later. Yeah, a lot um, can happen in a decade. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it like it can't, but I'm like, damn. It's not even set at the same time period. I guess it's set earlier. So it has yeah, to be. It has to be at its prime. Mm-hmm. We, it's good. God, I I didn't know that like uh, Red Dragon was not just a remake of Manhunter or like another adaptation, but like a, a real one. This now it's got Anthony Hopkins in it, who's actually yes. Hannibal. Yes, <laughs> that's gonna be a good. I'm very excited for those next two movies. They seem stupid. I really <laughs> like Hannibal the film. I just do. I will still stomp for it. I need to see it. And then I can finally watch Hannibal. Yes, the best. Hannibal's really good. You doing it after you watch all these movies will be really funny because... I'd seen all the movies and read all the books and the, the movie, the show definitely plays with your ex. Like if you have gone all the way in, it is willing to like, 
acknowledge that you've done that and kind of like you know have fun with it mm, um good not not like oh we're doing big swerves but sometimes it like plays a little loose in ways that are like meant to be fun for people who know um i definitely had a good time on that level i'm excited for um uh larry i need larry oh he's so good <laughs> in it he's the best part of hannibal he is jack, the best part of hannibal jack crawford in science of the labs is so fucking boring well here's the, the, <laughs> jack crawford in all of these movies is just not very interesting I liked him in Manhunter. Uh, not not in yeah, the way that like, I expect to. Yeah, the way in which he is depicted in in the in the show is just he's just he's just good. He's just the perfect cop. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. That's the thing I'm really excited for. Um, Harvey Keitel plays him in Red Dragon, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. Oh, let's go. This is the problem with superhero movies and like uh, the modern franchise idea is you can't get like three different movie stars who are all like famous movie stars in different ways playing the same boring guy <laughs> yeah ain't that the truth that's the I like i i kind of like scott glenn in the role just because he's unrecognizable as just like her stuffy ass boss he's just boring he's just there yeah like, they like they like take a, an actual goddamn movie star and just like make him the like the stuffy like he's just a middle manager who doesn't matter and sucks he, be- he does not matter in that movie, like, yeah. at all. The idea that he's, like, it's fucking Jack Crawford, like a cool guy. Yeah. Uh, is gone. <laughs> it's not, not in that movie anymore. No. Um, anyway. Uh, that's what I've been doing. Um, yeah. But we can get into the movie club. All right. Our movie this week is Red Desert, or El Deserto Rosso. Uh, the 1964 Italian film directed by Michelangelo Antonioni. Uh this came out, oh, I said 1964. Never mind. Did it. Um, Destiny picked this one. Destiny, why did you pick this? Um, A very long time ago, I got this book, uh, The House of Psychotic Women by Kirla Janice, which is about, it's kind of an autobiography, but it's also about the image of the neurotic woman in exploitation and horror cinema. And in that very early in the book in the introduction even she says that like the prototypical neurotic woman that she's kind of thinking of when she talks about these other movies is the monica vidi character in red desert so i felt like i needed to see red desert for the longest and every time i started it on the criterion channel i would just fall asleep (laughs) so i picked it for the movie club so i could finally finish the thing okay uh, Jackson, would you like to summarize Red Desert? Not really. Um, but I'll <laughs> give it a good go, I guess. Uh, so, Red Desert uh, is a movie uh, about uh, Juliana, who is uh, married to Ugo, uh, a guy who runs a factory in the uh, post-World War II boom uh, of um, previously rural Italy. <laughs> uh and she was in a car accident uh a while ago and she was fine but while in hospital something happened to her and she's just not been the same and no one can connect with her uh into the scene walks uh carrado uh richard harris a obviously dubbed richard harris uh in the italian movie uh (laughs) as a uh another kind of like slightly distant sad guy and they orbit each other um as they're like cutting the potential of them maybe like maybe the first 15 minutes ago maybe it's gonna be a movie about these people having an affair and like it kind of is but instead it's mostly about they they have these conversations and they hang out with uh like ugo and his friends and uh the movie slowly reveals how out of step with everyone else juliana is and how distant and unable to connect with people she is uh like they go um to this like shack uh where they're kind of remote and having like good fun times and flooding and everything and they see like a a ship uh that pulls in and there's a doctor there and it's being like in lockdown um because it might be contagious and then she just panics and like you have to run she like she runs the car then leaves a purse and then has a screaming fit and has to like go back but then almost drives off the pier because the fog's so strong she can't see which way she's going um and everyone seems unable to calm her down actually be able to like properly talk to her and connect with her and the movie continues to be about her inability to like connect uh with people around her as uh 
the back half is more her being very vulnerable and opening up and about how sad and lonely she feels and uh her memories of um when she used to be like a girl uh on a beach and she heard the beach singing and it's the only time in the movie that we see like just overwhelming colors of nature uh because she currently lives uh in this factory town um in just like grays and fog and the bleakness of modernity uh and at the end uh she um is still like orbiting uh, Carrado, not knowing how like what to do uh whether he's gonna like help fix her and make her feel better and he just kind of ends up coming onto her in the same way her husband did at the start and she doesn't feel any more connected and then he leaves the movie very sadly um just that didn't work at all uh she tries to like talk to the first uh person she sees uh and it's a foreign uh like dock worker who cannot understand her language uh and she laments how we are all disconnected people uh in a bleak and meaningless world and that's the movie basically (laughs) i think that was a fine summary yeah it was i don't disagree yeah you did good thank you because it's it's mostly just like scenes and like beautiful images uh as we get the portrait of uh this woman's disconnectedness uh from an uncaring modern world so this is antonioni's first um color movie and damn and yeah so he went all out to like like every set looks like a painting and not in like a every frame of painting like this is what the artist is it's like literally like they go out and the way they dress like the buildings like she has like a shop she wants she wants to set up a little shop to sell ceramics she doesn't know anything about ceramics but it's like her like ambition um and she's got like big color swatches on the wall to like test out the colors that just form these huge roughed out color blocks and behind it is just like very rough like you can see the 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 whites like like the brush strokes the way the white was put on when they go to the shack it like in the middle of nowhere it's just like these big bright lurid like painted colors the way that the grime is on the windows feels like it was hand placed like you read up on it and like he would go and like paint the trees to be the right color like he'd, he'd make sure that everything looked correct for the scene and it comes through it's fucking incredible um it i think this is like the most beautiful movie i've ever seen and it's about like the worst places on earth <laughs> yes um because it's like these like these like very gray landscapes dotted by like lurid reds and yellows and uh of like industrial like warning signs and toxic smoke and like smoking ground from the production lines and it's just miserable um but it looks fucking incredible while it happens yeah it really does yeah he I watched like an interview with him and they asked if he was like against the modern world and he's like no you can't fight progress this is uh sort of uh what did he say like his intention was to translate the poetry of the world in which even factories can be beautiful uh yeah but also they're miserable <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna say like she's she's neurotic before she gets like they don't they haven't lived there the whole time right they moved there mm. because of his I, I don't i thought they implied that they didn't always live there um it's kind of ambiguous i feel like okay because like i don't think that the that the world around her caused her problems i think that something was wrong before uh, so I think of this as like, this is a horror movie about a woman who is haunted. She straight up is seeing a ghost, but the ghost is like the reality of the world around her and her awareness that she is like a, a mortal being that is like drifting through this world that is like unreal and like directly in opposition to the real more than like just being like a, like a dreamlike like her husband like goes in these huge factories and like makes business deals with his other guys who like grimly smoke cigarettes and stand around in suits and talk about like gathering laborers to ship off overseas to work in factories or whatever. But like 
they, they don't do anything, right? Like it shows her walking up to like the a line of workers who are on strike at the very beginning of the movie, and like she doesn't interact with those people. Like the 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 people who do stuff just kind of drifted out of her life, and she's mostly forced into relationships with other people of this like upper middle class managerial set who just live their lives kind of like hanging out and like pretending like they're all going to be like have affairs and fuck around, but they're not actually doing that. They're just like having a dinner party where they get a little spicy about it. Um, <laughs> that and, seems so good. Uh, it's, it's hellish. I, it's miserable. Um, yes. And there's a like after they've been flirting and they're all like in a weird like swinger alcove with like this big like mattress or whatever. They're all like just like six adults in dinner, like in their like gowns and suits, like lying in this big puddle, like pile. Um, and she comes out and like everyone's been flirting, or whatever, and like touching each other's legs or whatever. And she says to her husband, like, no, no, I want to fuck now. And he's like, well, we can't do that. What are you talking about? It's ridiculous. How would we do that here? Um, just totally missing like. Just into the, he is like a person who lives for the facade of like, these are the, the things that we do, but none of it is real. Um, and she's someone who like, you know, it's implied she wrecked her car because she was uh, ready to end it all. Um, and uh, just lives this life like haunted by the fact that like, none of this matters and she's going to die and no one else seems to care that much about it. Um, which big fucking mood. <laughs> yeah, I was watching this like, I mean, doesn't everyone feel like this? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing is like she meets she meets um Corrado and he's the guy who is also a drifter he talks about talks about how he like moves from town to town and never stays in one place he's like i was unhappy here when i grew up and i moved to the city and then i was unhappy there and i thought maybe if i went back to home i'd be in unha- i'd be happier and but but i wasn't i moved back and i wasn't so now i don't know i'm gonna go somewhere else and he's just a guy who's unhappy and thinks that it's like a situational problem like if he just finds the right scenario um he will he will man, man happiness will be manifest in his life and he immediately latches on to if this enigmatic sad woman was my wife and her like her her husband who doesn't seem to pay that much attention to her was me. Um, that would not only fix her but it fixed me by having fixed her. Um, yes, fool, a fucking fool. <laughs> uh, I, I love him in this movie because first of all, casting Richard Harris is like fucking genius in a way that shouldn't work. Because uh, he's just like, how do you make someone appear like immediately in every frame to be a like a deeply repressed outsider oh just cast a british guy in this very italian movie. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need to even need to say anything uh you just can just tell um and obviously that works uh but like yes he has like similar stuff but he's like lying to himself so much more than she is yes uh who is like actually sitting with the pain of this and he's yeah, like she's just busy, she's things, just mostly yeah. like coping by dissociating hardcore like throughout yes. the entire movie yes uh and i've been there but like he is um like supplementing it into just the same shitty desires as everyone else just putting a front on it mm-hmm. but um, also being like you know if like unlike everyone else if i just find the right thing if i can like yes figure it out through someone else like by trying to hitch it to her and being like i could fix her um there's like the thing that she's looking for is like just a connection. She doesn't want, she doesn't, I feel like she understands that there's no fixing it. Like this is just life and she just wants someone to listen and understand and be empathetic. But he's like still seeking a solution through like finding the solution for someone else. Um, and so like when he does reach out to her, she realizes like there's fucking nothing. This guy cannot help me. There's nothing here. Yes. Um, uh, that scene. So that, that scene towards the end of the movie is like in- incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and even the like part where the like she comes to his hotel room to try to like actually make a connection. He makes a pass at her, and she's like resistant to it. And then like eventually like relents, but it's like this kind of like begrudging consent to the whole thing. Um, that's her whole life. Her whole life is begrudging consent because she has no other option. Yes, um, it, I mean it's a, it's a direct like call back to the scene at the start where her husband does this, mm-hmm. um, and she's like i guess i'll do this but i'm not like happy about it yeah but um, that's like that's like her taking her kid to the like she feels this way about everything everything in her life yes. is a, is a, a chore that the universe has foisted upon her that no one will help with or no one understands how hard it is that's so true <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Um, and he's just not that guy. And when she realizes that, that she has no use for him. And he, like, he even like, there's a, there's a great scene where he's try he's con talking to all the guys that are being sent overseas to like work at the, re the factory refinery or whatever. And he's like, he's like the kind of guy who s goes there and like tells it to him straight. Like you get the sense, unlike like wages of fear, like he's not pulling the wool over anyone's eyes. It's kind of a shitty job, but they'll be well paid if they go and do it. But like, still no one wants to do it. Right. Like it sucks. Yes. <laughs> so he's just trying to, go, to do this. Yeah. But as they're having like big, like, you know, he's given the speech a hundred times and everyone said the same thing. It just turns into noise. He just like starts looking around at this like room full of like just a thousand baskets stacked on top of each other in this room. It's just like this wild, like noisy background. Um, and just as like, this is what my life is. My life is standing in warehouses full of shit. I don't own telling guys to go do things that no one wants to do. I wouldn't want to do it. And that's just it. That's, that's who I am. Uh, but he doesn't run screaming like she does. He just uh, does it. He just does it. Yep. Meanwhile, she like goes and finds a sailor and is like, will you take me on the boat? And he's like, I, I don't speak Italian. And Polish? I couldn't tell what he was speaking. Polish or Russian, I think. Uh, I, it was definitely like an Eastern European language. Yeah. Right? Like I, was, uh, I couldn't tell which one. Um, but there's a, as she walks across like the dock, like there's this one spot where she stops where it looks like she's in outer space. It looks like she's just walked out of the universe. Um, cause there's like a big like mural that like is it, uh, and it's just like rust and like paint, but it ends up feeling like she's like backdropped by Saturn or something. And it's just wild. Um, but even going as far as like reach the end of the land, which she does more, like she drives her car all the way to the pier and is like, it's a mistake. I didn't mean to drive this way. But also she's someone who like tried to kill herself by crashing her car at some indeterminate point in the past. So like, who can say, um, uh, and wants to get on this boat. Like she's always looking for the end of the land and try to get out of here. Um, and, uh, he does not listen. No, he can't. Right. He's like, oh, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't understand. She walks away. Um, yes. It's great. I thought this movie was fucking incredible. I was like enraptured by it. Um, yeah, I I didn't like it as much as you, even though I agree about everything you say. Yeah, um, no, I I just found it too slow for me, but I liked the themes. <laughs> well, you know, it was like I I like I like this is the most um, illustrative. It's a, it's a very illustrative movie of the kind of like anxieties and fears that I feel, right? Like I am also dissociating all the time as a response to the world that is hell around me. Um, and so I, I found that stuff really good, but then I was like, what? Then I started having a crisis. Like, why aren't I liking this movie as much? I'm not liking this movie because I am too disconnected to my anxieties in the modern world to sit down and like <laughs> sink into a movie. I think that's <laughs> I think that's true. I think this this describes a lot of like anxiety that I I mostly feel like I manage better than either of these characters, but I yes. sit with and live with. Um, but I just ended up feeling like I'm experiencing the the, the event this movie is describing, or the like, condition this movie is describing, so much that I cannot watch yeah. the movie. No, that's true. I've had movies um, where I have that reaction too, and I feel like in a different time in my life I would have had that reaction to this movie. When the first time I saw Seven Seal, I hated it because it like made me afraid. Yes. <laughs> and I haven't rewatched it, but I'm going to at some point, and I, I assume I will like it more now that I'm a little more like coping a little better with the idea of being a mortal being with like existential terror all the time. Um, I like that movie. <laughs> Love a gloom and doom. But yeah, this movie is very good at like describing a real sense that like, this is an anxiety that like has ruined my life since I was 16. I, I absolutely yes. feel this these days. I feel it less or I, I handle it a little better. And so I, I like seeing someone else go through it and like recognize the shared humanity of it. Also, she just like the reminder that like, there's a bit, in the in the in the scene in the in the cottage or whatever where they're all like hanging out or whatever in the swinger pad where it like she you get the sense that she thinks everyone else is also like in this manic state because they're also trying to like hide the fact they feel this way and like ultimately like when it all breaks up and she panics because the boat shows up and she's like it's got a plague on it like we don't know what's wrong it could be anything so we need to get out of here there's a great shot where she's standing there and everyone's like arrayed in front of her all these people and like the fog rolls in and just starts erasing the people that she was like spending her day with like they just disappear into the fog until it's just like the dim shape of her husband but even he's like being consumed by it um and just like as like the most unsubtle metaphor for alienation it's it's fucking incredible this movie does not have any time for subtlety. No. No. 
it ends with her trying to talk to someone, but he speaks a different language. It's yes. like the most you can get. Yeah. And yet it all works. Like the um, the part where his son fakes that he's like got polio or whatever. He's like, my legs don't work. Um, to just like get attention as like a as like a lark, uh, not dissimilar to what like um Carrado's doing like his whole life uh, is very good. Like every even even her child is like this because people are like this. Yes. Uh, you you feel you feel an emotion that you don't know how to process, and you act out to try to get someone to come and save it or rescue you from it, and that's just not possible. <laughs> no, and that's just every day. It's just that every day, forever. <laughs> yeah, and she and while she's deeply unhappy, she seems to be the one person who recognizes that like that's just what being a person is. Like, it's not about finding the right solution. It's about trying to be okay with the fact that there is no solution. (laughs) She's not okay with it. Hasn't figured it out at all, but at least it has an understanding of the scope of the problem. No, which is why like it like is so heartbreaking for her at the end when she realizes that like, Oh, he's going to try to fix me forever. Yeah. He is always, he is just going to do this. Uh, and he will never be able to sit with me in it, which is all I really want is not be alone while I sit in it. Yep. It's really good. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have that much more to say. I just fucking love this movie. I uh, I feel like it's a very straightforward movie. Yeah. Um, like I said, no time. For, uh, you know, the movie is what it is. Uh, I guess the only like disagreements and in interpretation usually are like as to whether it's about like, um, well, like how potent the this is the modern world doing this, or this is just the human condition. I feel like the movie pretty much saying this is just the human condition and this is the world we've made for ourselves yeah um, yeah i agree but um i mean th- <laughs> whatever antonioni says he is filming a hellscape this is a hell world that has been built in the economic boom of the post-war economy yeah <laughs> uh hellscapes are often beautiful like there's yes. a bit where she she's like in her kid's room and she's just telling a story and the story's great, and the entire sequence is incredible. This, like, girl on a beach who hears singing but doesn't know where it's coming from and realizes it's coming from everywhere. As, like, the sense of, like, the oneness that she, like, seeks in the world and can't find and how, like, being separate from that just is, like, a thing that causes anxiety. But she's drawing this, like, bright purple and yellow, like, shape that kind of feels like a flower, but just, like because the way the color is like feels toxic, right? Like the thing about brightly colored things in nature is that they're the things that are poisonous to warn you away from them. Uh, or also some of the things that are alluring to try to draw like insects in for pollination. Like the way in which like the landscape is like bright, like these grays. And then you find like bright red railings or the yellow smoke um, is meant to be like both like alluring and beautiful. And like this sign of things, something that's deeply wrong at the very end. Like they see the yellow smoke and the kids and she's like, the kids like it's poisonous. Right. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, well, why, why wouldn't do all the birds die when they fly into it? And she's like, no, the birds know to stay away. Um, as in like the, you know, people acclimate to the dan- the horrible things in life and just avoid them, um, mm-hmm. in a way she cannot, <laughs> or is like tenuously like, on the periphery of as someone who uh, has not avoided it, but maybe will try to learn, maybe won't. Who can say? Uh, her future is uh, deeply ambiguous. Yes. Oh, the other thing I really like about this movie. Oh my god. Um, her husband like runs this fucking factory, right? Their kids' room is just STEM toys. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like a fucking. Uh, like erector like set robot? robot and and uh like a gyroscope toy and like a t- uh, microscope that the, the father helps him like do slide like build slides this is like a tiny ass child he's like what like six eight something like that right oh i think he's like four or five okay <laughs> i don't know little, i don't know I what kids are i'll be honest don't know what the fucking child is <laughs> <laughs> but like that's it like he like the, the, and the way that, like, the son talks about things, um, just is like, he is being raised in, like, this hyper-rationalist world, because that's what everyone is except for Juliana. Like, they just live in a world of, like, spreadsheets and, I and like, work and labor um, and progress. And that's what her husband is, and that's what her son's gonna become, and she's just not that person. 
Well, they don't live in a world of work, right? Like they oh, are sure, sure. But the like management. the idea of like management of work. Yeah, I just mean that there's like. I don't think the movie is like this is like a strong theme, but you can definitely no, no, make no. a reading of this movie in which like a version of the thing she is looking for is found at the start of the movie, right? Like the the workers on strike have found a way to be like more than themselves, right? That is what collective action is. Well, I mean, this uh, is like she wants to start a shop, right? Like she like yes. it's not quite the same thing, but it's her conception of like I need to be useful about like and do something real. But I mean, like, like so much of her like social alienation. Uh, obviously, it, it is deeper, like existential fears. But mm-hmm. in a lot of the movie, it's just like she is hanging out with the most disgustingly vapid bourgeois idiots who have yes. ever lived. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is just what existence is to this class. Mm-hmm. But you think the movie is aware of the fact that, like, yes. Um. When when like uh, Carrado tries to go and like talk to the workers and try to get like multiple like every time he like makes his pitch someone's like like they're always very like aware they're like no we're, we're like working on our family and like the pay is good but like my husband's got to be away for a year fuck no i'm not gonna let him do that <laughs> um like they're de- they are like on top of it and aware of like perils and like not willing to take unnecessarily unnecessary risks and they're like you know they're not like unaware of this they just have handled it better like you get the Mm -hmm. sense that the people going overseas even though they know it's kind of a bad deal are doing so in awareness that like opens doors for them like everyone is living in the constant like analysis of like what is the risk towards my life as a human being like existentially yes Yes. um it's good uh i really like it it was good Okay, if there's nothing else, we'll move on to questions. If you'd like to send in emails, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. That's podcast singular. We've had some questions about this. It's podcast singular, abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, our first one is from Hilver. What is the most bizarre DVD extra? On well, any DVD that's ever been made? That's what you ever? can think of, just comes to mind. There have been some weird ones. The one I always think of is the Memento DVD had a fucking like psychological like memory quiz that you use to navigate the menus what yes the the Memento DVD. and there's like there's the like a Memento- thing where they like ask you to put like a story in order uh, like in sequences like look at these pictures and put them in order and if you did it backwards that's how you played the movie in like the the like chronological order like to un- that wasn't even like it's not a menu feature early dvds were fucking stupid not early but like Early mid period DVDs were fucking stupid. Yeah, th- that was the first one that came to mind when I read the question or heard the question. It was mm-hmm. that specific Memento DVD because it was a puzzle and it had a bunch of like weird psychological tests, and that was the first thing that came to mind. I can't think of any others. It's been so long since I've DVD'd. I do admit, like, that was when I was getting into, like, just, not not movies because I was still too young, but, like, when I was watching DVDs, right, they were, they were in that period, uh, I had, like, an Xbox, so it was the early 2000s, not the late 90s, um, and DVDs were just, I, that's just what I thought movies were, they, you, you, you got the two-disc set, because the second disc had more stuff. Yes. <laughs> I got um, the second disc for iRobot for some goddamn reason, I can't tell you why. The, um god yeah the the weird ways in which dvd menus were just like the gaudiest shit in the world um i do not miss it but i do like i have like the universal monsters like collection um on blu-ray and when you put those in they just play the movie because universal had like they went the other way by blu-ray time where they're like all of our movies have like this frame like menu that'll pop up but when you put in the movie it just plays the goddamn movie because that's what most people want and i hate it i want like a menu i want like a like some music to play and like a presentation of like chapters and and, like extras if you want to do like a looped video that's fun too i i don't mind those um do you want like super gaudy effects and then like Spider-Man shoots a web at the screen? As the, the one movie I think begins? of is the one I think of is the Matrix Reloaded like DVD menu loop. Just, I mean, isn't that just the the green text, the thing? The Matrix no, it screen? like it like it like is a bunch of scenes and it, like ends with like Neo flying at the screen or whatever. It's like oh, like, it's, this must they must have changed this for the um for the like the I had the big box at the ten disc. Oh yeah, I, I didn't have a big box. I just all had the of those releases. had the. Uh, 
Oh, no, I have seen this exact video. This is the, the, the thing at the bottom, and it's just a montage of action scenes. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. You know what? I clicked play and uh, on this YouTube video that recorded it, and I was like, oh, it all came back. Like, as one go. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, one DVD extra I always liked is Robert Rodriguez would do like little cooking videos, just like YouTube videos of like how I make this food. Um, and once, no, it wasn't once upon a Mexico. It was one of his movies had like a, um, how to make breakfast burritos menu or like recipe that I used for years to make like tortillas. It was good. Back when I had the time to make my own tortillas. I haven't done that in 15 years at this point. Mm. Yeah. Um, I always liked those. Uh, Tron writes in, uh, ba, 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 ba. um, what's your favorite looking shot or scene in this movie? I like the fog scene. Oh, the one where everyone gets swallowed by the fog. Yeah, where everybody's getting taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think mine might be the, like, story sequence of the girls swimming. It just is, like, the color changes are so dramatic it's just really like uh it's really shocking the way it's like films the ocean and how different it feels uh i think it mine's the cabin scene uh i think that seems like it, it's showing off but it, it somehow manages to be so understated about it mm-hmm. you could see a version of this film that's like very arch and this film ends up not really being that. Uh, but the way, like, okay, so the, the room at the back is red and the room at the front is blue and then we've got the white uh, coming in from the uh, from the sea and the fog. And it'll just, like, flip between these, like, seconds. Like, like a pan will hit one spot and then move to another spot, then, like, follow this other character here. And it's just, like, the entire color temperature of the world is in this room and they somehow manage to move between all of them completely organically without it ever feeling jarring. It's, mm-hmm. like, it's truly virtuoso showing off in a way that is ridiculous the thing the thing i like about that whole sequence like with the boat coming up and everything is like it ends up feeling and like the fog the thing it reminded me of is apocalypse now which is a story about people drifting down a river and coming across whatever comes at them out of the fog and and the jungle um Mm -hmm. but in this like things are coming to them like they're in this terrible like intolerable state in his cabin i think it's like it, it gave this is the thing that gave me the most anxiety i'm like this is miserable this is like what hell is to me is like six people who suck in a cabin um i'm and not the, i don't like they, parties <laughs> and but they think that they think this is good they're hanging out there yeah and then they, most people think this is good like this would not be intolerable to any most people i think i think it's like this is the well, worst thing that's happened to her in this entire I mean, it, is, it is intolerable to um uh, you know, uh, Atanyani, right? Like, this is intentionally hellish. Yeah. Uh, this entire sequence. Um, and it kind of reminds me of a, there's like a big famous, like, dinner scene. I think it's only in the director's cut of Apocalypse now, but, um, where they go to a manor and have this extensive lunch that is just, like, intolerable. But then, like, the fucking, like, Dracula ship drifts in. Like, the ship that is out, like, <laughs> It seems too big to be near a cabin this small on the side of a river. And it's just like mythologically mysterious where like a yes. doctor goes in and they don't know what's going on. And there's like a disease there. And like famously in Dracula and Nosferatu, I think even there is the the ship that he takes to England that uh, by the time it shows up, it's everyone's been devoured and uh, everyone thinks it's the plague, but it's not as Dracula. And like that, it like... It, it, does, it doesn't play at that arch, but it, it like evokes that sort of like nebulous fear when it comes out of the gloom. Uh, something bigger than all of the like, you know, normal middle class party at hell that they've been experiencing. Uh, I love the bit where the, like the young guy walks in with yes. his like girlfriend that he's actually going to go fuck like a normal person. <laughs> uh, and they've been talking shit about him the whole time. And he's like, ah, oh, I broke up with him because I didn't want someone who was so poor. And he's like, I'm selling him this cabin and I'm really fucking him over. And they're like really enjoying how much they're owning this guy. And he walks in and he's just got his girlfriend uh, and like, oh, he's got so he's he, he's got a new girl every day. Uh, but he doesn't like come across as a particularly like shitty guy burning through girls he's just like hanging out and he's gonna go hang out with his girl later uh and he's just living a life these people uh who have been indulging deeply in their superiority to him like before we meet him uh and so he comes in he's just like the most normal guy it's really good he just completely cuts through the whole thing Mm. Mm. yeah um 
we covered most of the rest of it. There's a question about the sound design. I love the music in this movie. It's like yeah, it's this like discordant electronic thing. music that is mostly like pretty like sedate, except for when she's like having her moments like by herself at night. Like it just drones in. It feels like it feels like like an electric monster is going to come out of the like ether at her. It's really interesting in that we're watching this like so shortly after playtime, mm-hmm. uh, which is like in many ways the exact same movie um despite being the most different movie you could possibly make yeah the tone is so different um but like their fixations on modernity and specifically like the inhumanity of how this world sounds uh are like just identical to me they are so similar in uh like we you know when we get to the scenes where they just walk past these like generators and machines that presumably do something but they have no idea what they do they can be doing anything they just make noise they are just objects that hum yes. and remind you that the world is broken somehow yeah <laughs> um rick writes in uh talking this was after our wages of fear episode fire and black and white film looks absolutely incredible what is the thing that we do not see in black and white that you love especially and how it looks in black and white movies uh for me it's like waves and water just I was just about to say, you took the words right out of my mouth. Water, anything that sparkles, really, like jewelry. The way in which, like, any body of water just looks, like, just black. It just could be outer space. Uh, but for all the, like, foam and churn is is incredible. This is, this is correct. <laughs> People smoking looks better in black and white. People smoking yeah. looks so good in black and white. It's I mean, so it looks cool. good in color. And smoking's like smoking looks cool. I'm sorry, it just looks cool. But in black but and yeah, white, it's such mm. a problem. <laughs> That's why they had to make laws against showing smoking because it looked too fucking cool. Yeah, it looks too fucking cool. Yeah. Um, Rick has some other questions, but we need to prep for those. So we'll do them next time. I'm, I forgot to look through these and spring them on people. So okay, we wouldn't have good answers to them. They need some research. So um, our last email is from Neve. Uh a lot of directors are known for having muses, uh, like Michelangelo Antonioni having Monica Vitti as his muse for many of his movies, including this one. What are your thoughts on this trend in general? Any favorite examples? I don't really um, have any thoughts on it. It is what it is. Like, um, I really like when directors kind of have a stable of actors that they rely on. I always liked when Philip Seymour Hoffman showed up in paul thomas anderson's movies that was always a treat Mm -hmm. um i especially love when the coens do it i feel like they have a great sense of like casting and who works well doing what um and and they still manage to like pull out surprises um i um i'm i the thing here is like i feel like that's a little different than like a muse which is often coached in the terms of like the woman that is a fixation point for a director who is almost always a man right Yes. Like yeah, you think of the way true. like Hitchcock treated his actresses, or um, the stuff between like Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman, where he almost got her killed and shit like that. It's just like it's definitely like a weird nebulous space. But also as like an adjacent part of this, I fucking love when a director just puts his wife in a movie and like adores her on film, even though it's cringe. It's often very bad. I just love it. <laughs> I love yep. when Rob Zombie does it. Love when Rob Zombie does it. Um, you know, it's a problem now, but the 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 Paul W. Sanderson movies where he just is like, I'm going to make my wife wear cool outfits and do shitty, like amazing cool stunts now. Um, that is part great. is still like cool. Yes. It's yes. just, it's just that in addition to that, he was also killing people through his negligence. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the Fountain Incredible movie is all about, uh, Aronofsky being the world. He's like, I'm going to love my wife through time and history. They're divorced now, by the way. Yeah, uh, he's made he's a he, divorce. He made other. He has since made future wife guy news movies with different women who is also broken up with. Yes, but I bet they're not as good as the Fountain. <laughs> no, are you gonna say Mother's Worse than Fountain? I'm I've never seen God. Mother, but I fucking I've never love seen the it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna watch it really soon. I think the Fountain um, or Mother. I'm not gonna watch Mother. mother. It seems uh, bad. the Fountain is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Like hardcore, just destiny movie. Um. I had another director actress pairing and now I'm blanking out. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's nice usually cuz you get to see those actors in lights that you don't usually see them in, but you know, it does have its problems. 
Yeah, I guess my response is like, I also like when actors like work with, like when there's, there are pairings that work through, but like the specific framing, cultural framing of what like a muse is, uh, is often just like bad. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I feel too. Oh, I was thinking of uh, Godard and Anna Karina. Yeah. Yeah. Godard, also a guy that went through like five of these. Yeah. Um, second question. Uh, unrelated are there any movies that you understand as a comedy but for whatever reason most people seem to read as a serious and deep film or vice versa um i i mean there's a lot of fi- yes but I, I wouldn't necessarily put that in opposition to films being serious and deep um but i definitely tend to find films funnier than than most people like, than most people i yes. remember watching um touch of evil uh at uh university so in a film class and I was just like, I was great. It was a, that's a fantastic movie. That movie's hilarious. Uh, it's still serious. I mean, like the, the themes are still there. It's just also fun and ridiculous. And I had to explain this to my movie uh, like professor that I wasn't being rude when I was laughing at Orson Welles being ridiculous. It's Orson Welles. He knows what he's fucking doing. <laughs> I was the only person in the theater who laughed during Phantom Thread and... I still kind of hold a weird grudge against those people who didn't laugh. Yeah, that's fair. Man, Thread is very funny. I think this is more of a cultural thing of, like, we are, not even the movies themselves, but just, like, culture. we have this assumption. I don't even know where it comes from. But, like, the things that are serious and good must be, like, not funny. They must be serious talk for serious men or whatever. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Which leads to like a lot of situations where you watch these classic movies and they're like fun and full of life and just you just enjoy them. Uh, in a like, this is how people are surprised that old movies are good. Is this conception that old movies must all be stuffy and boring? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that like that applies to modern stuff that is considered serious too, but on, on a different scale. It's all coming mm-hmm. from a similar drive, I think. There's also like comedies that I mostly find deeply unpleasant and like. This is about a horrible thing, um, but that's just because they're bad. Because modern comedy does not jive with my sensibilities very well, more than I uh, think yes. like a nature of the movie. It's hard to find a good comedy. Sometimes it's on purpose. Like, um, was it Young Adult? One of my favorite comedies. But like, I don't think it's funny. It's mostly like a miserable time about people being assholes to each other. I just find it deeply moving. It's also pretty funny. There's, it's also yeah, pretty it's also funny. Funny. <laughs> funny. Young Adult is funny. But yes, absolutely. But like first time i watched the hangover i'm like this is just unpleasant this is like a nightmare this is this is uh fear and loathing but they didn't know they were making fear and loathing or they thought they were making fear and loathing a comedy but they're making fear and loathing the reflection on lost possibility as people uh the the um the hangover stuff is really interesting to me i haven't seen them but the cultural perception of like by three that's what everyone thought like three is famously a dire unfunny i only saw the first one and i was already there (laughs) yeah so like the fact that you were like how where does it even go because they still keep like selling as comedies to an audience somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so that's just like a haven't like investigated myself, but it is a fascinating cultural cul-de-sac to me. Just, they made Hangover movies and just got more miserable. Yeah. Um. All right. I think that's it. That's a podcast. Next time we are watching Peeping Tom, classic of cinema, the first slasher film. First splasher film. It's a good one. It's British. I've never seen it. Yeah. Beautiful color movie. Is that Powell and Pressburger? Yeah, it's uh yeah. I've just never I've never seen a Powell movie and I've never seen this one. So I'm you know, fixing two things here. But movies are beautiful. Uh I think they're technicolor, they're great. I know Peeping Tom specifically is not Technicolor and I'll link you a thing that my friend this is why I picked it because me and my friend uh, Maria were talking about this movie just the other day and she linked me a big article about him using Eastern Color because Technicolor like needed they wanted like technicians to advise you on the color to be like part of the set and he's like fuck that I'm just gonna do Eastern Color Um, okay that's cool but that brought like its own thing because like people thought color movies were for like perverts and people doing like gore and sex and uh so everyone was like up in arms about it. And then as far as I can tell, Peeping Tom, Tom is about gore and sex. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like kind of tanked their careers famously um, yeah. for a little bit. As much as like a 1960s, 1960 British film can be about gore and sex, I guess. Probably not that much in the modern conception <laughs> of such things. 
you have to understand, yeah. 1960s Britain was a fairly repressed land. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll be watching that. Uh, until then, it's Plugs Destiny. At Fridge Buzz Now, most social media platforms, and my other podcast, Battling Girls, we're having a cozy month, so we're talking about cozy stuff, like uh, your autumnal comfort films and autumnal comfort albums and it's just it's just a cozy time at, at, at badland girls so check it out at abnormalmapping.com slash badland girls jackson um you can find me at headfuls off on twitter.com and you can find the podcast that me and i do at abnormalmapping.com there are so many podcasts we've done too many podcasts <laughs> you know, i don't think we do that many honestly i just meant in life over oh. like over time cumulatively that's true uh you can find me on twitter at em underscore being you'd support all the work we do at patreon.com slash neural mapping uh for one dollar you get the great gundam project we're uh finishing up uh turn a gundam we're starting gundam seed uh we're gonna watch a movie in between called g savior it's a live action canadian film from what year is that jackson 2000 2001 i don't know it idea. is the year 2000 and there's time for gundam great um five dollars you get blockbusters where me and jackson watch a movie and do like a more like formal breakdown of like script and shots and ideologies than this podcast we just did dirty harry um which was a great episode we're about to do miss congeniality which i think will be a pretty good episode i like that movie a lot um, i like that movie a lot too for ten dollars you get voip life for me we goof off and talk about some shit that's where i go on my screen about halloween is bad and jackson goes on a screen about how um frozen 2, frozen 2 is bad and then the episode after that we, we end up talking about oscar best picture winners um and I, what mid-90s best picture winner I'm never going to watch. I don't care if I live to be 300. I'm just not going to do it. Um, you can find that out on VoIP Life. So thanks, everybody. Uh, you can find this podcast, of course, at RepertoryScreenings.com. Tell your friends. Word of mouth is, like, good, and we need it. <laughs> so if you enjoy this podcast at all, please, like, retweet the plugs and tell your friends. And uh, now that we've got our audio fixed, I'd like to, like, you know, push it a little harder. So we're going to do that. Um Thanks for listening, and uh, until next time, movies, now more than ever. Do not expect to like them.